be a child of God tonight. Are you glad you're saved? Glad you're on your way to heaven. You're looking for the, are you looking for the Lord to come soon? Amen. I am too. Praise God. Well, let's uh, let's get into the Word for a little bit tonight. I don't know how far we'll go. I've prepared uh, the lesson tonight, the, the study tonight, to uh, to cover chapter six, and we'll see how how far we can go with that. But uh, we are still in our study in the book of Revelation, and um, I've been enjoying this. I hope you have as well. Um, but we are in chapter number six, beginning chapter number six this evening. And uh, just a little recap, uh, just to kind uh, of review just a little bit. But in chapter four, as you remember, John was caught up to, to the throne room of God in heaven. And in chapter number four, the, the focus there was on the throne of God. He heard a voice, remember that? He heard a voice like a trumpet speaking with him. And immediately John was in the spirit. And he found himself in the presence of God in the throne room. And uh, the voice, remember the voice that spoke to John, that voice of a trumpet said to him, come up here. And so immediately he said, I was in the spirit. He was before the throne of God. He saw the living creatures around the throne worshiping God. He saw uh, God's throne. He saw God on the throne, the rainbow around the throne. So we talked about that in the throne room. The focus was on the throne room of God, the 24 elders representing the, the saints of God in heaven. And so if you remember, uh, we told you that chapter number four is a picture of the rapture of the church. You have the um, you have the messages to the churches in Revelation two and three, and we're following the we're following the outline that Jesus gave, the chronological outline and the outline that he gave in Revelation one and nineteen. That he told John to write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which are to come, or that will be hereafter. And so uh, the the um, Following that outline, the, the vision that John saw in Revelation chapter 1 of the resurrected Christ was what he had, had seen, chapter 1. The things that are was chapter 2 and 3, which is where we are now in the church age. We are in the churches. Where is the church is still on the earth. I believe we are still here, right? And uh, the things which shall be after this. Um, takes place after the church has been raptured and taken to heaven, which I believe is very soon. So chapter 4 deals with John being caught up to the throne of God. That's the rapture of the church. The church is seen in heaven from, from chapter 4, from chapter 4 on through Revelation. You don't see or read about the church on earth anymore, but only in heaven. In chapter 5, the focus then is still in heaven. Chapter 5 is still talking about what John was seeing in heaven, but the focus uh, was moved more to a seven-seal scroll and the one who was found worthy to open the scroll. The scroll was in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. 
which was God the Father, and there was a search that was made for someone worthy to open that scroll and loose the seals. It was a scroll that was sealed with seven seals written within and on the backside. And if you'll remember, the scroll we said was the title deed to the earth and contained the terms for the redemption of the earth. And it could only be opened by the one that was worthy to open it, but which would have been the kinsman redeemer, the one who paid the price, the one who was worthy. And who was that? It was the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. A search was made in heaven, earth, under the earth, all around. No one was found worthy to open the scroll to loose the seals. John began to weep. He began to sob. For the very first time, there were tears inside the walls of heaven. As John began to sob and to cry and to weep because he realized that a man was in such a fallen condition that no one was worthy to loose the seals of that scroll. He realized that if that was the case, then the earth would remain in the control of Satan from now on, and there would be no release from his tyranny on the earth. But thank God there was one found that was worthy. Oh, hallelujah. Remember that? The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed and is worthy to open the, the scroll, to open the book, and to loose the seals. John saw a lamb standing that had been slain. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. He walked over, took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And, and, and uh, uh, all of heaven began to praise and worship the lamb and say, Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Ten thousand times ten thousand. And thousands of thousands begin to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now we come to chapter six. And the seals are going to be opened by the lamb of God, by the Lord Jesus and judgment is going to take place on the earth. Beginning here in chapter 6, the focus moves from heaven to earth. And judgment is going to be poured out uh, on the earth, taking place on the earth from chapter 6 through chapter 19. And Jesus, as we will see here, the Lamb is the one that is opening the seals of this scroll. And, and that these events that are taking place are under his control. You know, people want today, they, they want to see Jesus exclusively, just exclusively as being a God of love. And he is. We don't want to take anything away from that. He does love us. Nobody loves you like Jesus loves you. Amen. Nobody will ever love you like Jesus loves you. But sometimes people get the idea of this, uh, you know, with this grace revolution and stuff that's going on today that because God is so much love and Jesus is so much love and we have the grace of God and all of those things in which all of that is good that they can just live any way they want to and continue on in sin and everything's going to be all right. But as we see and as we know from the Word of God that Jesus is our Savior. And He is the Savior today of all whosoever will come unto Him. But Jesus is also the judge. Amen? And He also judges. And uh, He made the statement, Jesus said in John 5 and 22, that the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. So we know that Jesus is the Savior. He's the Redeemer. 
And we're living in, an, in a day and an hour today when people need to see where they're at and make things right with the Lord and get ready for the, the trains about to leave this old earth and go to heaven. Come on, amen. And we need to be ready for that. So, so in chapter 6, beginning in chapter 6 through chapter 19 of Revelation, which we're getting ready to delve into. I said last week, it's hard to leave chapter 4 and 5. I would love to stay in chapter 4 and 5 because chapter 4 and 5 is heaven. Man, that's, that's where we're headed. That's where we're going. But now we're coming back to earth to see what is going to be taking place on the earth after the rapture of the church, after the church is gone, after the salt and the light has been removed, after the restrainer has been removed, and the restraining force in the earth today that's holding back the spirit of lawlessness is the spirit-filled church that is in the earth today. So in chapter 6 through 19, we have there described the seven-year uh, seven period of tribulation. And the result, it's going to be this, this, this seven-year period will be the result of the rebellion and the sin of mankind. It begins Daniel's 70th week that he was shown by the Lord in the prophecies of Daniel. And so Jesus even said, as we get into this, we need to understand and realize that Jesus said that there would be great tribulation in Matthew 24, 21 and 22, that there would be great tribulation that would come such as has not been, had not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor, no, nor ever shall be. And Jesus said concerning this time of tribulation that unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake, he said those days would be shortened. So, it's tribulation that's going to come such as never has been or ever will be. Daniel said the same thing in Daniel chapter 12. And verse number 1, listen to what Daniel said. He says, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, speaking to Israel here, even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book. So we know that the tribulation period, I want to say a little bit, now maybe I'm laying some foundation tonight before we get into these seals, but we know that, that the, the tribulation period, we hear a lot about it, it's a seven-year period um, that is, is, is broken into two particular parts, the first and the second half, divided by three and a half years. But the tribulation period is uh, a primarily for the nation of Israel. It, it will be primarily, it will be served two purposes, actually. It will be the wrath of God and the judgment of God upon a world that has blasphemed God, rejected God, cursed Christ, trodden underfoot the blood of Jesus, have rejected everything that and the mercy and the grace that God has offered for over 2,000 years. The, the, a world and an earth that has rejected that. I told you, I told you before I saw 
a picture somebody had on Facebook here, uh, I don't know, some months back uh, when the protests were going on. I don't know what they were protesting at that time, but this guy had a sign that said, uh, go ahead and let Jesus come back. If he does, we'll crucify him again. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's not going to happen. They're in for a rude awakening. But you know what? That is the mindset of the world. But a world that has rejected God, rejected Jesus Christ, spurned His mercy, His love and His grace, is going to suffer the judgment and the wrath of a holy, righteous God. That's what begins to take place in Revelation chapter 6. So it will serve that purpose. It will be a time of judgment on a, on a, on a, on a world that has rejected Christ. But it will also be a time of tribulation and affliction that will be used to turn Israel back to God. Uh, the majority of, of the Jews will lose their life during this time. But there will be a remnant that will come through the tribulation that will accept Christ. And in the, at the coming of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, at the end of the tribulation period, all the nation, the entire nation of Israel will be saved. Hallelujah to the Lamb. But it will take that time of Jacob's trouble, and that's what Jeremiah called it, the time of Jacob's trouble. And it will take that period, that time of uh, persecution and tribulation that will bring Israel to the Lord. Here's the point that I want to make. It's the wrath of God on a God-rejecting uh, world. It's a time of tribulation that's called the time of Jacob's trouble to bring Israel back to God. And it serves no purpose whatsoever for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? God's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation and deliverance through the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at the sixth chapter, Jesus begins to open the seals and the scene shifts from heaven to the earth. Now let's read, beginning in verse 1. Or you ought to be there by now. Have you found, have you found Revelation 6? <laughs> I'm reading from the, from the New King James. Uh, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1. He says this, John said, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud, with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Notice as the Lord Jesus breaks that first seal, he opens the very first seal on that scroll, and John hears one of those four living creatures crying with a voice like thunder. It was a voice like thunder. Now, this is symbolic because we just experienced this just a, an hour or so ago, but when you hear thunder, it's symbolic that a storm is on the way. A storm's about to come. So this noise like thunder, the voice like thunder, is a symbolism that there's a storm coming. And as this first seal is opened, John sees a white horse with a rider. Now we have to we need to identify 
who this white horse rider is. Because there are some people that think that this must be Jesus. I mean, after all, all the good guys ride white horses, don't they? And wear white hats and all of that. Those are the good guys. So everybody just reading this would get the impression of the idea that this has to be Jesus. He's got a crown on his head. He's given a crown. He's riding a white horse. And I was talking to here a few months ago to a, to a, a minister. And we were just having lunch and in conversation. I talked about this um, first seal. I talked about this white horse rider. And I said that some people think that's Jesus. And the preacher looked at me and he said, it's not. And I said, well, no. He kind of shocked me. And I said, well, no, it's not Jesus. He said, well, are you sure? I said, I'm positive it's not Jesus. Jesus isn't coming riding a white horse at the beginning of the tribulation. He comes riding a white horse at the end of the tribulation in, Reve in Revelation chapter 19. And so, you know, he's the one in heaven loosing the seals. He's not the one riding the horse at this beginning of the tribulation period. So, um, yeah, but Brother Rick, it's, it's a white horse. And Jesus rides a white horse. And this guy, this, this rider has a crown. And so, you know, surely it's Jesus. Well, see, that's exactly what the rider of this horse wants everybody to think and believe. That he's the good guy. And that this is the, the, the Lord. It's a, you see, we, we need to understand something and never forget that Satan, Satan is a master counterfeiter. Amen? He, he appears as an angel of light, Paul said. Um, you know, he has a, Satan has apostles that are uh, ministers of ungodliness and righteousness that appear as ministers of righteousness. So we need to understand that Satan is a counterfeiter. And that's what he wants everybody to think, that this white horse rider is the good guy. But this rider doesn't come. This rider comes to trouble the earth. This rider on this white horse comes to deceive the earth. See, as I said, Christ comes at the end of the tribulation, not at the beginning. So when we identify the rider of this white horse that's coming on the scene after the loosing of this, of the, the, the removing and the loosing of this first seal, we know that this rider is not the Christ. This rider is the Antichrist. All right? He's the Antichrist. He's the great deceiver who is going to come on the scene as a peaceful leader. A lot of people are looking for him today, trying to identify who he's going to be. But ladies and gentlemen, we see here from the chronological order of the book of Revelation, he does not come on the scene to the loosing of the first seal, and that is after the church is in heaven already. Amen? How long after the rapture will it be before the Antichrist comes on the scene? We do not know. I don't think it'll be the next day. It could be, but I think there will be, if you, on your timeline that we gave you some time back, it shows a little bit of a, of a space of time between the rapture and the time the Antichrist signs the peace treaty with Israel. So the signing of the peace treaty with Israel will be the beginning, the very beginning of the tribulation. 
when he signs that, ratifies that covenant with them, that will start the seven-year clock ticking, all right? So, so this is the Antichrist. He's a deceiver. He comes as a peaceful leader. The Bible says here that he comes, this white horse rider, uh, he has a bow and he has a crown. He has a bow, but it doesn't say anything about any arrows. He has a bow because he's coming. Uh, he's coming. No arrows because he's coming proclaiming peace. And he is going to conquer at the very beginning. He will conquer through diplomacy and not he will not be a diabolical figure or individual at the beginning. Because, see, here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen, and, and you can look at the um, you can look at the condition of the world today. You can see that we're heading toward this. Can everybody see that? Can you see, you know, just watch the news, man. You can see that we're heading uh, toward this. But after the rapture of the church, the earth will be completely, this world, this world system will be completely spinning out of control. And it will need somebody, there will need to be somebody that can step to the forefront that will be able to solve the world's problem and be, be accepted and received as a great liberator. And that's exactly what the Antichrist will do. He will come on the scene and have all the answers to all of the problems. Amen? In, in, and he will come with peace. He has a bow, but he has no arrows. He comes proclaiming peace. In that second verse of that sixth chapter, it said that he has a crown on his head. Again, some people confuse this with Jesus because he is, uh, had, you know, Jesus is crowned with many crowns in Revelation 19. But the difference here is that the crown that this white horse rider in Revelation 6 has on is the victor's crown. It's the Greek word Stephanos. And it's uh, the wreath that they were given when those who, you know, when they uh, won the Olymp in the Olympics or whatever, the Grecian games in the, in the New Testament days. And Paul was always referring to that. And he said they would receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Well, that corruptible crown was the victor's crown. It was the Stephanos. And the crown that Jesus wears is the crown that a king wears. It's a diadem. So there's two different Greek words that are used for the crown that this white horse rider has and the crown that the Lord Jesus Christ has. But he will have a victor's crown, a Stephanos. Amen. And this future world dictator begins his career when he comes on the scene as a peacemaker. Now, I want to get into this just a little bit because uh, I mentioned to you that, that the Bible says that he will confirm a seven-year covenant or a treaty with Israel and promise to, uh, to protect her from her enemies. In Daniel 9 and 27, you might jot that down. Daniel 9 and 27, Daniel says that he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That one week not meaning seven days, but it's the week of it's a week of years, referring to seven years. So he will confirm a covenant with many, with Israel, with the Jewish people, for seven years. 
that, as I said, will begin, will begin, will start the clock ticking as the beginning of the tribulation. But notice in that in that 27th verse, but in the middle of the week, that'd be three and a half years, okay? In the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and the offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Speaking of the abomination of desolation, Jesus said, we talked about that in Matthew 24, said when you see the abomination of desolation, stand in the holy place. No, he said you need to you need to flee. You need to flee to the night. You need to get out of there. Things are getting bad. He was speaking to those Jews that will be there at that time. But he will sign this a man of sin, the Antichrist, coming as a peacemaker, will confirm a seven-year covenant with Israel to protect her. But in the middle of that week, three and a half years in, everything will go good for a while. He's going to help Israel to rebuild the temple. We know that. And listen, plans are, have already been drawn up for the, temp, for the rebuilding of that temple in Jerusalem. Israel's going to rebuild their temple. Their temple will be rebuilt and their offerings and their sacrifices will again begin to be offered uh, for the first time since the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And so this, um, this Antichrist, will, it, when he signs this treaty, will allow Israel to rebuild the temple. He will be hailed as the greatest peacemaker ever. He will be the one who will solve the Mideast peace puzzle. Amen. No other leader, president, nobody has ever been able to solve that Mideast crisis there and bring peace between the Jews and the Palestinians and Israel and the Arab nations, uh, the Arabs that are around them. Nobody's been able to be successful. This man will be successful in doing that for a season. And he will be such a deceiver that the Jewish people will literally accept him, accept him as their Messiah. Jesus prophesied that and he said in John 5, 43, I'm come in my Father's name and you receive me not but another shall come in his own name, and him you shall receive. They will think that he is their Messiah. They will accept him as their Messiah. There will be nothing but a proclamation of peace and safety. He will have all of the answers to all of the world's problems and will be hailed as some kind of a superman of sorts. I can imagine that he will probably be probably be on the front cover of Time Magazine, no doubt he'll be Time Magazine's Man of the Year. He will probably win the Nobel Peace Prize. The whole world will wonder after this man. But the Bible says, Paul said, that when they shall cry peace and safety, what happens? Sudden destruction comes. This rider of this white horse, the Santa Christ, will go from victory to victory and finally till he comes to the place that he controls pretty much the whole world. He will be seen 
as God's anointed and bring peace from chaos. But in the chaos, in the chaos of the post-rapture, the stage will be set for someone who will be a negotiator, who will be a diplomat, who will be the right person that will be able to pull this off. And the reason he will be able to pull this off, folks, is because he will be empowered by Satan himself. He will be totally empowered and used by Satan. Revelation 13 and 2 tells us that it's the dragon who gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. Oh, you know, there's a lot of speculation. Is this guy alive today? Is he somewhere in the world? Is he waiting in the wings? Is Satan grooming him, getting him ready? I, I believe we're that close to it. The problem, you know, this is my personal belief. I don't have any scripture to give you for it, but my personal belief, I believe somewhere he's just there. And Satan's got him ready to come on the scene at the, the right time. So the loosing of the first seal, the Antichrist, the man of sin, comes on the scene and the tribulation begins. But notice in verse 3, the second seal is loosed. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. Notice the change from white horse to the color of this horse which is very significant, a fiery red horse. The rider of the white horse comes to conquer with peace. He's given a bow with no arrows. But now his tactics change. The second seal is open, and the red horse, the Bible says, takes the peace away. The rider of this fiery red horse takes peace. Notice what it said. That it was granted to him. Verse 4 says that it was granted to him, to the one who sat on, the, on, on that red horse, to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. The Bible said that he's given a great sword with which to make war against those who do not swallow or accept his brand of leadership. And I thought it was really interesting too that it says that he that he is um, he is given granted granted the ability to take peace from the earth. And the definite article is there in the literal in the Greek text that and it says this that he is given the, the power to take the peace from the earth. So this speaks of the world peace that was brought on by this first rider that brings peace in Christ, peace and safety. This second seal is loosed and the peace that had been established is now completely taken away from the earth. This speaks of, of the utopia that was under the Antichrist and tells us that the utopia that the Antichrist brings and the promises that he makes will be short-lived. It won't last long until war breaks out. The color of the horse is what? It's blood red, fiery red. It's the color that rightly depicts the mission of the rider of this horse. 
It depicts bloodshed and slaughter. And he is the holder of the great of, of great power and great weapons of war and great armies. And so we know that war, there's going to be several wars. The, the time of tribulation, that tribulation is going to be a time when there's going to be wars going on continually in the earth. He uses this, this rider of this red horse will use every weapon in his arsenal to get his way. There will be civil unrest, riots in the street, rebellion against authority will run rampant. No one will be safe and there will be a release of a total spirit of lawlessness over the face of the earth. We've seen some of that in the past couple of years with the riots and the tearing up of cities and the burning down of buildings and there's just a spirit of lawlessness. But listen to me, saints, that's nothing. What we've seen taking, taking place is nothing compared to what's going to happen during this time of Daniel's 70th week and this time of tribulation. Alright? No one will be saved. Anarchy and worldwide bloodshed will be the signatures of these last days. And Jesus warned that the last days there would be, what was one of the things he said? There will be wars and there will be rumors of wars. But he said, see that you be not troubled, for the end is not yet. We're hearing of wars now. We're hearing rumors of wars now. China is mad at us now. Oh, well, who'd have thought? Huh? You know? I mean, <laughs> but we're living in a time. War could begin at any time. I, I, I preached here, I don't know, it's been some few months back, well it was right after, it was back in the winter because it was right after the uh, Russia invaded the Ukraine, but I, I, I ministered on a message from Ezekiel 38-39 concerning the Gog and Magog War, which is going to be a coalition of Russia, Iran, um, and several other, uh, Turkey and several other Syria, different ones that will be involved in an attack with that Russia will lead uh, on Israel. But I saw just a week before last where Putin met with the leader of Iran and Turkey, I believe it was, which those are three that will be a part of that coalition. Things are coming together and Bible prophecy is being fulfilled, ladies and gentlemen. We are in the last of the last days. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's exciting. When we read these things here, it's not pleasant to talk about, not pleasant things to talk about, but we we need to know what's going to happen. And uh, there's a blessing pronounced on those who will read this prophecy and keep the words of the book of Revelation. Isn't that right? Amen. So Jesus warned that there would be wars and rumors of wars that would take place. The, the scripture here says uh, in this concerning this um, rider on this red horse, it says that uh, that that he was granted to take peace from the earth and that he was given that there was given unto him a great sword, a great sword. So that's telling us that uh, of, the, of the death and the destruction that will occur, that it is just unimaginable. There will be excessive bloodshed. There will be, will there, will there be, will there be nuclear war? Will nuclear weapons be used? Well, what about 
weapons, WMDs and weapons of mass destruction, will they be used in these wars during the tribulation? And it's very possible, I can't stand here and tell you, but I, I, I would say it's very probable that there will be nuclear weapons that will be used in these wars. Chemical weapons, biological weapons, all the, the weaponry that we have that, that these nations have now, and the nations, rogue nations, ladies and gentlemen, rogue nations that have uh, either have a nuclear weapon or have access or are on the verge of producing a nuclear weapon. Iran is on the very verge of it. They have enough, it's documented that they have enough enriched uranium to produce an atomic weapon. Now, whether they have one or not, we don't know. But when those kind of weapons get in the hands of demon-possessed madmen, anything can happen. So, yes, it's possible there could be nuclear weapons. I, I preached here a while back again that, the, that I don't believe the world will be destroyed by nuclear warfare. God, that's in the hands of God. But... There probably will be some nuclear warfares. We read in this uh, revelation, we begin to see some of that. The Bible predicts that the world is, is going to get worse and worse. It doesn't predict that things are going to get better and better until Jesus comes back. There's a group of people known as uh, Kingdom Now, Dominionists that believe that the church, they don't believe in a rapture, they don't believe the church is leaving, but the church is going to experience a great and powerful revival, and I hope we do, but that the church is going to rise up, and the church is going to get so many people saved, that, and the church is going to be responsible for putting godly leaders in all the places of leadership in America and across the world, that the church is going to usher in the millennial reign and then when they get everything the way it needs to be, they'll tell Jesus, you can come back now. Isn't that silly? You'd be surprised how many people actually believe that. That's not biblical, ladies and gentlemen. You know, that's why you had all of these YouTube prophets on there prophesying that, that Donald Trump was going to win the election. I prayed that he would. I voted for him. I wanted him to get back in, but he didn't. I had a man got so mad at me in a prayer meeting here, stormed out through a fit because I said that, that uh, we needed to pray. It was right before the election, so we needed to pray for Trump and for the election that, that you know, that, that the right people would get in and that God would see to it that, that he got another term and everything. And boy, he got mad. He said, he's getting in. It's been prophesied. I said, well, I hope he does, but I'm not going on what's been prophesied. I don't believe God. I don't believe God. Here I am getting on my soapbox. I don't believe God uses uh, this gift of prophecy to predict political elections. Okay, I said it. Praise God. But that's why they prophesied that. And that's why after the election was over and he didn't win, they still continued to prophesy and say that on January 20th that he would be inaugurated and that Joe Biden would not be president. And they said those things in the name of the Lord. They got some answering to do. 
The prophecies were false, ladies and gentlemen. And I know people say today, well, if a prophet today can hit it 80% of the time or 60% of the time, they're a good prophet. No, according to this book, they got to hit it 100% of the time. Every single time. You just need to be watch out who you're listening to. Amen? There was one of those prophets that got on um, on, on media and, and the internet and everything and, and, and repented and confessed that he was wrong. Jeremiah Johnson, he said, I was wrong, I missed it, but the other ones continued to make excuses for the lies that they told. I didn't, that wasn't in my notes, so she said. But, but here's the point. The reason that they had to have these dominionists had to have a president like Donald Trump. I, he was a nationalist, he was not a globalist. He was for the church. He was for America. He was a patriot. He was for this book. I didn't say he was a Christian. That's between him and God. I said he was for this book. And he was the best friend the church ever had. And he was the best friend that Israel ever had. I thank God for him. Pray that he died like seen back then. Glory to God. But whether he does or not. There's a reason why he had to be moved out of the way for other things to take place to fulfill biblical prophecy. Are you with me today? God's, God knows what he's doing in the, in the scope of, of how everything's working out to fulfill the prophecies that have been put in this book. But they had to have a, a man like that in there. In order to fulfill, I don't know why I'm off on the dominionist, but uh, but they had to have a man like that in there um, because they say that everything is going to get better and better and better and better. That there's going to be a great worldwide revival and awakening, and and we're going to usher in the millennial reign. Then Jesus can come back. But when you you know when you study those dominionists, they don't believe in a rapture. They don't believe Jesus is coming back to take the church away. They're post-trib, if anything, rapture. But with, 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 without the Prince of Peace, without the presence of the church, without the salt and the light of the church, hatred is going to run unrestrained throughout the earth. We are the restrainer of lawlessness right now. We're not doing really a, that great of a job. The church is not. Jesus said, you're the salt there, the light of the world. If the salt loses its savor, its saltiness, it's no good anymore. But to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. And so a lot of the church today, thank God there is a remnant church. There is a, a Philadelphia church. There is a revival church. There is a missionary church. But the majority of the church, what's called the church today in 2022, is savorless salt. That's not doing any good at all. It's, it's accepting lawlessness and ungodliness instead of standing up against it. You, we've got, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on my soapbox now, help me Jesus. The majority of the church world today has gone woke. We ain't woke. The church doesn't need to be woke. The church needs to be awake. Yes. Amen. Yes. Does that have anything to do with my message? I guess it does. 
But when the church is removed, the true church the, at the rapture is removed, the salt and light is removed, um, things are going to be a mess. Chaos will be everywhere. The hope of a permanent peace by means of the UN, the United Nothing, and all other human efforts is doomed to failure. There won't be peace. There will be war. Things will not get better, but things will get worse in a hurry. Number three. Verses five and six. So we've got the Antichrist coming on the scene as a, as a messenger of peace. War begins. And then what follows war? It's a black horse. Verse 5 says, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So he looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. The third horseman, third seals loose. The third horseman comes out riding on a black horse with a pair of scales in his hand. This horseman represents famine and hunger, which always follows war. Always does. And especially the wars that will take place during the tribulation. The balance in his hand, this, that, that balanced scale that is the, in the hand of this Black horse rider symbolically indicates that there will be a severe shortage of food. World currencies are going to crash. Inflation will skyrocket. It's getting ready to do that now. It's doing it now. Amen? Washington don't know it, but we all do. Amen? But, but, but inflation will be out of control. And there will be rationing that will result from this food shortage and famine. There's going to be hunger and starvation. That's going to be the order of the day. And food, and what these balances represent is that food will be measured out and rationed out very carefully during this time. Of course, we'll find out later on when we get into the 13th chapter that it will be rationed out and people will have to have a mark before they can even buy or sell anything. But you know, we experienced shortages during the COVID time a couple of years ago when COVID hit. There was uh, shortages in the grocery store. There were lines at big box stores for basic things. There was a toilet paper shortage and a shortage of everything, a lot of other things. Here in recent months, We've had a baby formula shortage. People have had pictures posted on Facebook of shelves in stores that are empty. They're already talking about now getting ready for Christmas and all that. There's going to be more bottlenecks out there, you know, in the getting the products to the United States. But listen, this is just this is just the beginning of sorrows. This is just the beginning of it. There will be starving people that will be standing in food lines, but they'll not find enough food to live on because they're, they're, they're because of the famine that will ensue. Can you imagine the chaos? 
and the looting and the violent thefts that people are going to be involved in just to meet their basic needs. You see it on the news now. In some states, they just walk in and take what they want to and load up their arms or their cart and walk out without paying and nobody does a thing about it. Nothing's done. The people, the managers, the workers have been told, don't do nothing, just let them do it. It will be so much worse during that time. There will be such looting and people, when people get hungry and they ain't got no food, they'll do anything to get something to eat. Verse 6 said that this rider on this horse, I'm, I'm going I'm to try to get done with these four horses if I can. I've done started now, I just will get done with it. This rider on this horse will be saying a, a quart of wheat for a penny, three quarts of barley for a penny. A quart of wheat was barely enough to sustain one person for a day. A quart of wheat was barely enough in this time when this was written to feed one individual for a day. Just barely getting by for a, for a denarius. A denarius was what? How many knows what a denarius was? The, new King, the King James says a penny. It was a full day's wage. It was a full day's wage. Families could get three quarts of barley for the same price, but barley was lower in nutritional value and it was typically what was saved to feed to the animals and to the livestock so they could get them some barley, three measures of barley, a very meager food supply to feed their family for one day for a day's wage. People will have to spend a full day's wage for those who are fortunate enough to have a job for and then this is what it's breaking down to. Are you hearing me? Have I got y'all excited now? It should excite you because you're not going to be here to go through this, praise God, if you believe in that pre-trip rapture. But people will be spending a full day's wage for a loaf of bread. That is what it boils down to. With no money left or very little money left to buy anything else, there will be terrible, terrible inflation, as I said. The aftermath of these wars will leave the earth in a total chaotic mess, ladies and gentlemen. There will be starvation, there will be sickness, poverty, pain. It will be everywhere. That's why Jesus said, that's why Jesus said, Woe to them that are with child in those days. Families that have little children. It's going to be so terrible. When those babies are crying and there's not food to give them to eat. And then he said, do not harm the oil and the wine. I won't take a lot of time on this, but biblically speaking, I've always, always wondered, well, what does he mean? What happened? Oh, harm the oil? oil and the wine. Going to have this high inflation, shortages of food. But the oil and the wine represents, biblically, is symbolic of, of, of luxury. It was a luxury. And so what I believe this is saying here is that in this time when everybody else is scraping for food and has very meager um, amount of food to eat, the wealthy and those in leadership positions will somehow continue to flourish in this time of war and famine. The politicians will have it and the everyday folks won't. 
Oh, we've seen that during COVID. Don't have Thanksgiving. Don't have Christmas. Don't go visit nobody. But then Gavin Newsom and some of these other hot shots. What's her name up there in Chicago? Your favorite. <laughs> Amen. They just do. They go. They party. Do what they want to. Oh, see, it's what do what I say, not what I do. But even during that time, hurting off the wine and the oil, the elite will have uh, have food. Food will be so ex so expensive that only the wealthy will have enough. But listen to me. Let's let's get this last one in, okay? We got what five minutes. Can you see the progression? The Antichrist comes on the scene, declaring peace. War breaks out. What follows that? Shortages, famine, inflation. Everything's going down. This is just the beginnings of the tribulation. There's a lot of things happen in the first three and a half years of the tribulation, but the worst happens at the second three and a half years. But notice... Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse. That word pale is the Greek word that refers to it. It's the word that we get our English word chlorophyll. That's what makes grass green. And so this pale color is an ashen green color. So he looked, and behold, a pale or ashen green horse. It's the color of a decomposing corpse. And the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed him. And power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. The fourth horseman, the fourth and final horseman, and of course, there's two more seals to be opened after this. But these are these what's known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And this fourth and final horseman comes riding a pale horse. And he's, his name is Death. This is the obvious next step in this chain of events from peace to war to famine to death. And it's said that Hades or hell followed him. So death is going to claim the body. And hell's following along to claim the soul. Death and hell are given authority to kill with the sword, which is war. With famine, which is starvation. With pestilence, which is sickness and disease. That Greek word death is, is the word that is translated and literally means plagues, pestilence, and contagious diseases. It's from, uh, from, there will be all kinds of sicknesses and diseases as a result of the war that takes place. Hell and Hades is the place where the lost are confined until the day of judgment. And as death covers the earth, hell follows to claim its victims. Said, telling us that the majority of those who will die during this time will be eternally lost. And hell will have a field day. And listen, look at what it says. And, 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 and this, is, this is so mind-boggling. In verse number 8, it says that power was given to them to death and, and to hell. Power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with, with uh, hunger, death, and the beasts of the earth. One-fourth. Listen to me closely. 
One-fourth of the earth's population will die during this time. One-fourth of the population of the earth. I looked it up today. I knew we were getting close, but they're estimating that we will hit, the world population will hit 8 billion by November of this year, of 2022. 8 billion population. Well, if one, if, 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 if out of 8 billion, if you want to calculate it, uh, a fourth of 8 billion would be 2 billion people that will die. If a billion go into rapture, I don't know, do you think a billion people will go into rapture? Let's, for conversation's sake, say if a billion people go in the rapture, that would be one and three quarters of a billion people that will die in this judgment in less than four years. Nearly two billion people will die. Under the fifth trumpet, in Revelation a little farther over, we find that another third will die. So... During this time of tribulation through the war and the pestilences and the things that will happen, over half of the earth's population will die. By the sword, by hunger, by death, and by the beasts of the earth. The world is ripe and the stage is set for that, pull, pull, that pale horse to gallop in. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. When you read these, these facts from the Bible, when you read this, everybody was all worked up over COVID. You know, the predictions of how many people were going to die. They fear-mongered and scared everybody to death. You know, that so many million were going to die, and it wasn't as big. And, and, the, and the numbers are skewed. You can believe that if you want to or not, but there were people that died of other things. Not They maybe had COVID, but they didn't die of COVID. But just think of all the people that died from COVID. This, what's going to happen in the tribulation, is going to make COVID-19 look like a sniffle. It will. Terrible times are coming on this earth after the rapture of the church. The tribulation is coming. And so people need to get ready, get right with the Lord. In that fifth seal, their souls under the altar that have been slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. These are the martyrs of the tribulation that we read about under the fifth seal. And they are there in heaven. They were slain for the word of God and the testimony. See, listen to me. During the tribulation, will there be people saved after the rapture on this earth? Yeah, there will. There will be scores and multitudes of people that will be saved. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to be very, 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 very difficult to declare faith in the Lord Jesus Christ after the rapture of the church. Because during this time of tribulation... To uh, most of those, the biggest majority of those who trust Christ as Savior will be put to death. You read about it again over in Revelation 7, 9 through 14. And uh, in Revelation 13 and 15. That all that do not worship the beast or take his mark will be martyred. They will die. 
And I hear people say, see, I don't want to wait till then. I don't want to wait till then. And I hear people say it all the time. You know, they say, well, you know, uh, I just, uh, you know, I know enough about the Bible. I know, I know what's going to happen. I know. And if I miss the rapture, I won't take the mark. I'll accept Jesus then. I don't want to wait till then. Praise God, you've got the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit and everything now. Now is the today is the day of salvation. And now is the accepted time. Amen? You may not have tomorrow. That rapture can take place tonight. What a sick feeling that will be in the pit of somebody's stomach that knows that they missed the rapture and knows what's going. That backslider that knows what's coming. And knows that he, if he if he's going to make heaven now, he's going to have to declare his faith in Jesus Christ and suffer the consequences. Those who do accept Christ and proclaim faith in Christ during the tribulation period will be hated by this God-forsaken world. We're hated now, but man, nothing like it will be then. I've heard people say, well, I'm just waiting if I'm, you know, I'd get right then. Well, I help us, Jesus. I saw a little bit of that. You can stand. We're going to close. I'll get you standing up. I'll hush. I saw a little bit of that during the COVID 19. Now, now the, the, the COVID vaccine is not the mark of the beast. There's some that thought that it was, but it's not. Amen. But the premise that we saw, what we saw, where you couldn't go into some stores unless you presented a proof of vaccination. You couldn't go on a cruise, couldn't do this, couldn't go here, couldn't go there. When you shut everybody down, you have to show proof of vaccination. That was a precursor to what is going to happen during the tribulation. And I believe it was done just to see, for the enemy to see, and for, for those in charge, those globalists and those individuals to see, how far can we push them to make them take this vaccine? Let us know. Let them know how gullible people would be, how they would just line up to get it. Whether you got it, I'm not, I'm not that. Whether you're vaccinated or not, that's your business. That's fine. It wasn't the mark of the beast. There wasn't no sin in it. But my point is this. After the rapture, when that mark of the beast is introduced, those very people that say, oh, I know better. I won't take it. But when they're persecuted, when they're starving to death, when they can't work, when they can't eat, when they can't buy, when they can't sell, when they can't do anything without, unless they take that mark and worship that beast. How many are going to be strong enough? There'll, there'll be those that'll make it through and give their life. There's multitude there that's beheaded, giving their life for Jesus. Martyrs that are under the altar there, under that fifth seal. But I tell you what, it'd be much better to do is in this age of grace, just to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and live for Him and be ready for that rapture. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Woo, hallelujah.